The world has many great men and women. But there is one who is infinitely greater than them all. And the clue to his greatness is in his title and in his name. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Lord. He is God. And he has the name Jesus. And the name Jesus means saviour or strong saviour. And so when we think about the Lord Jesus Christ, we are thinking about the God-man. The Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is not a surname like Johnston or Hand, but it is a um, recognition that he has been anointed. Kings and priests in the Old Testament when they were set aside for a particular, their particular job and task, were first of all anointed. It was to show that God was with them, that God was setting them aside and equipping them for the work that they had been given to do. And so here is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The God-man has been set aside the one who bears the name Saviour has been set aside to be our Saviour, our strong Saviour. I mentioned before, didn't I, that we could have read almost anywhere in the New Testament, and we're going to be bobbing about in the New Testament, particularly this morning. Paul writes to the Philippians, and he says of Jesus Christ that he has been given the name which is above every name. Every name that is named in heaven and on earth, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I don't know all of you here this morning. That's wonderful. You faces, you folk have come in during the past 12 and 18 months. What about you this morning? When you hear and think of the name, the Lord Jesus Christ, those titles in your mind, in your heart, do you bow before him? Is he your Lord and is he your Savior? Do you love him? Do you obey him? Do you serve him? And here he is then, our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thinking about his greatness. And that greatness was seen and experienced firsthand by those disciples, those men and women that he drew around him during the time and period of his public ministry. It was revealed to those who knew him that he was the Son of God, sent down from heaven, and that he was to be loved and worshipped and obeyed. They lived alongside him. They watched him and observed him closely. And they were astonished at the miracles that he performed. Hundreds upon hundreds of them, amounting to thousands over that three-year period. Think of those, think of those miracles. All done effortlessly and with great authority. Those disciples, those men and women who followed him, they drank the wine at the wedding. They ate the bread 
that they helped distribute to the 5,000. They saw lepers cleansed and demons cast out. And he terrified some of them when he walked on the waters of the storm. And he terrified them again when he stilled the waters of the storm. Here is the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. They marveled at his teaching, those golden words that came from his lips. And he spoke with an authority. No one spoke like this man before or since. And they realized together that his words were the words of eternal life. Here then is his greatness seen and experienced firsthand by his disciples. And that life was written down. It was written down so that we too could experience those things and that we too might believe in him. And so his greatness is seen and experienced today. Firsthand, through the scriptures. Today, the world is full of those who know and who love and who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And wonder of wonders. He loves us with a deep and an unfailing love. So that today those who belong to him know his love. And in love he cares for us. He guards us. He guides us. And he protects us. In love he trains and teaches us. He brings his exhortations to us and his rebukes to us. And he encourages us through the word that he has given to us. He reveals himself to us and he walks with us day by day. And it all comes to us through the power of the Lord Jesus, by his grace, through the Holy Spirit. We say, never meet your heroes. Never meet your heroes because they always disappoint. And sometimes they bitterly disappoint. But the Lord is different, isn't he? How different is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the closer you get to him, the more you know him, the, the more you learn about him, the more wonderful you realize that he is. This too is part of his greatness. The closer you get, the more about him you know, the more wonderful he becomes to us. However, be warned, because the closer you get to Christ, the worse you feel about yourself. That's it, isn't it? The more you know Jesus, the more about him you know, the worse you feel about yourself. His perfections only serve to contrast our imperfections. But there's something... Like a, like we're drawn like a magnet to him, aren't we? Those who know him, those who love him, 
those who worship and obey him. The closer we get, the more wonderful he sees. Well, we must move on and consider some of his claims. We've seen what the disciples saw and experienced. Let's think about the claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come with me uh, to John's Gospel, chapter 8. We're not going to look at the verses in any detail, but John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, here we are in the, in the temple area. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. Just to explain, the Feast of Tabernacles was an annual festival and it was the time each year when the disciples, sorry, when the people remembered how the Lord God had led the people of Israel out of their captivity in Egypt and led them through the dangerous wilderness. And at times, of course, in those wilderness wanderings, they traveled at night. And the Lord Jesus Christ stands up in this great feast and festival and he says, I am the light of the world. And as the people traveled through the wilderness, sometimes in the darkness, but always at every, on, uh, on every night time, the great column turned to a column of fire. And it gave light to the whole camp. And in the festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, in the great courtyard in the temple, there were these great golden lampstands. And they were lit at the beginning of the um, ceremony and they were put out at the end of the ceremony. Jesus stands there the last day of the festival when those lights are about to be put out. And he says, I am the light of the world. I am continuing the light of the world. My light doesn't go out. And what Jesus is saying to us, he's saying to us today, he's saying, I can lead you through the wilderness of this world. I can give you light as you travel through the wilderness of this world, so that you can see where to go and how to go safely. That was John chapter 8. In John chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ heals a blind man. He gives light to the man. And what he's doing, he's proving that what he has said about himself is true. I am the light of the world. And to prove it, he gives light, he gives sight to a blind man. Move on to chapter 11 of John. And Jesus says to us, to Mary and to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And so Jesus stands by the tomb of the dead man, Lazarus. Time and time again, Lazarus is referred to as the dead man. And Jesus says before he does anything else, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And to prove the truth of that claim, he raises Lazarus from the dead. A little bit of background information for you there. As you look through and read through that story, you realize that when Jesus 
heard that Lazarus was sick and was dying, he stayed where he was two extra days. Why? Because that meant by the time he got to the tomb, Lazarus had been dead four days. There was a um, superstition common amongst the people of the day that when a person died, that the spirit would hang around, would linger around for three days just in case life came back to the body and then the soul would re-enter the body. But it was believed that at the end of the third day, the spirit would leave never, ever, ever to return. And so Jesus is making it clear and plain to those people in their sad superstition that this is not just something that happened to Lazarus, but was actually caused by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power and the authority of his command. And the Bible speaks to us and says to us that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins without the Lord Jesus Christ. And just as the Lord called Lazarus and just as he raised Lazarus, so now he can call men and women, boys and girls, to newness of life. See how great he is? No one else can do these things. We go out regularly onto the high streets and we talk to people of other faiths and they they tell us how wrong we are, how our scriptures have been corrupted. Nonsense. They tell us how it wasn't even Jesus on the cross. What a tosh. It's just tosh. And what have they got to offer in its place? Nothing. They've got nothing to offer. Really nothing. And here is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful in his person. Powerful in all his miracles. Delightful in all his actions and in all his ways. No one can do these sort of things. The claims of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of the light. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Little bit of a Bible study this morning, I know. But here we are, Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Um, and um, is it chapter 2? It's the man, par- the, the paralyzed man that is, is, is uh, lowered down through the, through the ceiling. Here's this paralyzed man, carried by his four friends. And they couldn't get near to the Lord Jesus Christ is in this particular little house. And they're determined to get their friends to the Savior. And so they, they go up on the outside of the building. There's the stairways would, would be up on the outside to the flat roof. And they just simply remove the, 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 the ceiling tiles. They break in through the roof. They lower the man down to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they expect that the Savior will heal him. And he did. He cured him of the fatal problem of his sin. A man is lowered down and the Lord Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. Healed him of his sin. Now the religious people who were there chucked a wobbler, as we say, up in Liverpool. (laughs) This is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus takes them on and he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or 
to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Both are impossible unless you're of Jesus. And immediately the man stands up and he walks out in front of them all. And everyone who is there is amazed. And we read that they glorified God and they said, we never saw anything like this ever before. Now let's just pause for a moment. Let's just pause. What are they all amazed at? They are amazed that the paralyzed man walked. The sad thing in that chapter is that they've lost sight of the thing that they've forgotten is that the Lord has forgiven the man's sin. There were two healings on that day. They were only focused upon the one. Now let's fast forward to today and imagine for a moment that you were able to speak to this man 2,000 years later and ask him, which is the more important healing? The healing of your paralysis or the healing of your sin? And if you were able to ask the man that question today, now, what do you think he would say? Here is this man. Today, he is knowing the joys of heaven. Today, he is rejoicing in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what he would say to us. And here we are, we're thinking about the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've thought about what the disciples saw and experienced. And we've, we've thought about the claims that Jesus has made for himself. You see, anyone can make great claims for themselves. Anyone can do that. But you see how great he is, that he made the greatest of all claims and was able to prove them to be true. Prove them to be true. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, he truly and really is the Son of God sent down from heaven. He is to be loved and worshipped and obeyed. Dear Christian friend, here this morning, by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in the light. He's brought you out of the darkness of your sin and transferred you to the kingdom that is the kingdom of light. That's what he's done. Are you thankful? Do you rejoice in the great mercy and the favor that he has shown you? He has brought you into the light. Another question has to be asked. Are you walking in that light? Day by day, is that light increasing as you walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? All Christians are in the light. It's just that some seem to have more of it than others. For some reason, I've no idea why a friend of mine some years ago um, did some decorating in his the downstairs area of his house and he fitted dimmer switches in all the rooms. You know, he just... Why? No idea. Just a fad. 
But you get the point. In some Christians, it just seems that the the light is always turned down. It shouldn't be that way, should it? It shouldn't. The fault does not lie with the Savior. It does not. The Lord has given us light as belief believers. But then second, the Lord has called us to life. Life in the Spirit. Once we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. But the Lord tells, tells us through Paul, the Apostle Paul, that we have come to fullness of life in him. You see, and it's all of grace, isn't it? And so we need to be asking ourselves constantly, am I living out this fullness? Lazarus, John chapter 11, was raised from the dead. John chapter 12, we go to the home of Lazarus and there he is eating a hearty supper. Okay, he is a fit and healthy man with a good appetite. There's a lesson for us there, isn't it? Isn't there? We've been raised to life. The idea is that we should be living a fit and healthy spiritual life. Well, then third Christian, dear Christian, this morning, you've been forgiven. That man who was lowered down through the roof was forgiven. And so have you been forgiven. You know the hymn, you know how it goes, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like thee his praise should sing? Well, are you singing his praises day by day? In your mind, in your heart, is there always that hymn of praise welling up for the Savior? Listen, he has forgiven all your sins. All of them. Think of that. Think of that every day. And thank him. Thank him. As believers, we are forgiven. Forgiven. That means we are accepted in the beloved. It means we can go into his holy presence at any time, at any moment. We can sing his praises and take our petitions and we will always be received. We are forgiven. It means we have a boldness before God and also a boldness before men. If I am forgiven, and that means I can stand before God, it means that I can speak to anyone about the gospel. It's easy to say in the pulpit when you stood on the high street in Manchester, it's not always that easy. However, we can do it. We can do it. So in Christ, we have light and we have life and we have liberty. Now, I don't know all of you this morning. I'm trusting that everyone here is a believer. But if not, if there is a non-Christian here this morning or perhaps listening later on to the recording, we're thinking of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatness of his title, the greatness of his name, the greatness of the true claims that he made about himself, those things that were experienced and seen by all who trusted into him. Listen, there is two further things 
that we need to, to say. First is that Christ issues a grave warning. And second, that he makes a gracious invitation. So first, a grave warning. Turn with me to Luke's gospel and chapter 13. Again, we're not going to read that passage, but uh, the first five verses. Luke chapter 13, a grave warning. Here are two incidents that are related to us by Luke, where men were killed. In the first incident, a group of men were killed by Pilate, the Roman governor. And in the second incident, a different group of men obviously were were killed when a tower collapsed upon them. I will read verses 2 to 5. The Lord Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered thus? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so he goes on into the other verses. Unless you repent, you likewise will perish. The Lord Jesus Christ, with all the authority that is his, issues this warning. Judgment is coming. It is on its way. And it is fixed as much as it is certain. And the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm speaking to unbelievers now, The Lord Jesus Christ is calling you to repentance right now, today. You see, just as the claims that the Lord made about himself were real and true, so the warnings that he issues are real and true as well. And so the urgency of the gospel is this, to call you to turn from your sin and to turn to God, to repent of your sins. And go to the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness. Repent of your sins. Repent of your laziness and your selfishness and your greed and your petty jealousies and the lies that come out of your mouths. Believe, receive and trust in him and be saved. That is our gospel. That is our gospel. And the Lord issues this grave warning. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. But along with that grave warning, our Lord issues a gracious invitation. Let's go back to John chapter 7. John's gospel and to chapter 7. And so here we are back in the temple, back in that period of the Feast of the Tabernacles. And in John chapter 7, where the people there in the tabernacle were reminded, sorry, the the Feast of Tabernacles reminded them that the Lord led them out of Egypt and kept them safe through the wilderness. And as they journeyed to the promised land, and one of the ways that God kept them safe, and the one of the ways that God providing for them was the through the miraculous supply of water. So here we are in that temple court. And just as the courts were lit day and night by those massive uh, lampstands, those great candles. So there were these great um, uh, massive jars of water 
lined up across the temple courts, each of them containing hundreds upon hundreds of liters of water. It was a reminder that God had provided light in the wilderness and had provided water, miraculously provided water. And at the end of the feast, they would tip over these great, these great massive water jars and they would flood the courts. Imagine standing there. What an amazing impression that would make upon you as suddenly the water is gushing across and it's sweeping across your feet and up over your ankles. It's a picture of the abundance of the water that God provided for them in the wilderness. And here in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, the Lord makes a gracious invitation. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and proclaimed, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart shall flow waters, shall flow rivers of living water. That's the invitation. It's as simple as that. The Lord Jesus Christ is offering to give to you living water. Dear friends, this morning, are your souls thirsty in this world? This world is like a wilderness, isn't it? And as you pass through the world, you see it to be a dry and a parched place spiritually. But dear Christian friend, this morning, as you pass through this world, with all its dryness, you're heading to the promised land. Unbeliever, as you pass through this world with all its dryness, if you remain as you are, you're heading for judgment. It's one or the other. We're heading either to the promised land or to judgment. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes this serious and grave warning about our eternal destiny. But he also makes a wonderful, free and glorious invitation to us all. It is the offer of life. And just as the evidence is real and just as the warning is real, so too is the invitation. The invitation is real. It's a genuine invitation. We meet the hucksters on the high street. The folk who knock at the front door. Notice your chimney's not looking good, missus. Can we go up and, can we go up and pinch the lead off your roof? You know it all. But this is a genuine invitation. It is a wonderful, a broad and a gracious invitation. And so if you are outside of Christ now, I would urge you to go to the Lord, call upon him and he will welcome you. Do it today. Get before him now and call upon him as you are. Dear friends, our time is at, a, at an end now. This is the graciousness, sorry, this is the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will receive all who come to him. He will pardon all who come to him. And so if you're outside of Christ, I would urge you, I would urge you to get right with him today, right now, this moment. There's not a moment to lose. But dear friend, if you are in Christ, 
Oh, we have shared just a fragment of his greatness. We've been there, haven't we? As the man was lowered through the roof, the, as, as he walks and still on the waters, as he stills the storm, we've seen all of those things. There are our experiences in Christ. And so, if you are a believer this morning, then I ask you to walk in the light, revel in the life that he has given to you. Because he is to us, you see, isn't he? He is the son of God sent from heaven. He is to be believed upon. He is to be loved. He is to be worshipped. And he is to be obeyed. May it be so for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. Let's close our service off this morning. As we turn to our hymn books again. 239. With this little chorus, thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. Endless is the victory thou o'er death hast won. Thine be the glory, risen, conquering son. Two, three, nine. Thanks, Carol.